staff, always good to, to have a view of what's going on. And uh, please pray. And let's, let's pray about that now, actually. We'll pray before we uh, do uh, this morning's Bible reading. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are so gracious to us. Uh, Father, you are the giver of all good things, and uh, we praise you for that. We're in a country that uh, is bountiful, Lord, and uh, sometimes we take these sorts of things for granted, and we just uh, pray that you will stir in our hearts uh, a deep love for you, and out of our love and love for you, uh, we will be a generous people. Uh, we pray this in the powerful name of Christ our Saviour. Amen. Right, this morning's reading. Uh, I'd like you to stand with me as we read this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 uh, through Acts 5. I'm reading from the English uh, Standard Version this morning. Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold. And laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each one as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not yours at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, uh, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they they will carry you out. Immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who had heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multiples of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. May the Lord add this blessing to his reading. You may be seated. 
Thanks, Nay. Let's pray. Father God, we come before your throne of grace and we pray now that through your spirit you will settle our hearts and our minds to hear what you're saying to us as a community, as followers of yours. We pray that you would drown out the noises that are going in our hearts and minds and help us to apply these things through the power of your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, welcome once again if you're visiting Cambry Gardens Community Church. It's a real blessing to have you here with us. Uh, and particularly if you're someone who's a little bit sceptical about the Christian faith, maybe you're someone who's sort of exploring the truths and claims of who Jesus is, uh, we want to know that Canterbury Gardens is a safe place to ask those questions. Maybe you're listening in on the podcast, but we hope and pray that you will explore these um, questions and you will look for these answers and you will come to know this great Jesus that we love and serve and worship at Canterbury Gardens. Uh, this morning, we, we are continuing our series in the, in the book of Acts. And uh, just to catch you up to speed... Previously in the Acts series, what's happened is, uh, starting in Acts 1, Jesus has been physically raised from the dead. He now commissions his apostles, his disciples, but he says to them, I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the helper. I want you to wait for the counselor, the Holy Spirit, my spirit, who will come and live in your hearts and to proclaim the truths of the gospel. And so they wait, and the Holy Spirit comes. He comes powerfully. And from then on, he, he empowers the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, to proclaim the truths of Jesus. So the apostles are preaching this good news, pre- preaching in particular the things that Jesus taught and also that he is risen from the dead, that he is the Messiah, that you can only find grace and salvation in him. And people are turning to Christ, people are being baptized, they are believing in this truth. Not only that, the early church of that time is growing in amazing ways. They are powerfully growing. And even in Acts 2, it talks about they're growing so much that everything that they had, they were selling their possession and their, belong- and their belongings and they're bringing it. And they're trying to serve each other and try to meet those needs through those profits of those sales that they make through these possessions that they have. So what we're reading today is nothing new. It started in Acts 2. And last week... Mike reminded us these apostles prayed out for boldness. It was the start of the persecution against the disciples and telling them not to proclaim the truths of the gospel. So they pray. God empowers them through their spirit to boldly proclaim proclaim the truths of Jesus. And we come up to this point. And now this is where the story of Acts now starts to turn fairly dramatically. So the church is growing. They've been growing for a while. They were a small band of apostles and disciples who believed in the resurrection, and now it's growing to a significant amount. And then we have this wonderful, wonderful picture that's given to us of a healthy mark of a church. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, or maybe uh, when you think about church, we want you to know at Camry Gardens, we don't believe the church is this building. We believe that the church are the followers of Jesus, who proclaim the truths of who he is and who believes in his word and we believe they are the people and the church during the week they're scattered to proclaim the truths of jesus in the way that they live and love and serve then they gather on a sunday to worship and sing praises to him and to hear from his word then we have this wonderful picture that's given to us about this church 
in verse 32. The full, they were now the full of number of those who believed were of one heart, soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. What a beautiful picture of a community of believers. And there's an unofficial Australian anthem, and you may know it. Uh, usually you hear it in certain events, and particularly there was a one particular um, uh, company that they bought it and they used it to, to, to um, promote their uh, aeroplane called Qantas. I don't know if you know the song. It talks about we are one, but we are many. From all the lands of earth we come. We share a dream and we sing in one voice, I am, you are, we are Australian. And when everyone sings that, there's this sort of unity that's going on. And it's a beautiful picture if you hear it and if you've ever been in a crowd when they're all singing that. And here is this picture that's given to us of this community of believers, of one heart, one mind, everything in common. This morning, I want to travel on these three little markers for us. I want to explore what does it mean to be a, a community of believers of Jesus who are driven by grace and have everything in common. I want us to explore, because of that commonality that we have, that grace-based commonality, it drives to a particular kind of lifestyle. That is not driven out of religious sort of uh, piety, but is driven out of a grace-based lifestyle. But then there's also finishing off both with a reminder, but also a warning what happens when we abuse the grace that's given to us. So firstly, this idea of a, a community of believers who are driven by grace and a grace-based commonality that comes around Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this passage before. If you just heard it today or maybe you've read it before, let's be fairly honest, that is a fairly full-on section in the Bible. And actually, it's actually quite countercultural in the thinking that all of us have here, particularly here in Melbourne, Australia, particularly in a Western context. I mean, that idea of what they're doing just seems a bit weird and strange. And particularly if you're new to the Christian faith or maybe you're exploring, it almost sounds a bit cultish, a bit weird. I mean, Paul just shared with us some of the challenges that we're facing financially. Now, if I told you now, that means that as a leadership, we've decided that uh, leading up to our next AGM, between now, this, this morning, and, and all the way this week, and up to our next AGM, uh, the pastors and elders are going to make appointments with you to meet with you. We're going to rock up to your house. We're going to sit down with you and say, now, can you please lay before us your financial statements, your credit card statements, your assets. Uh, part of, the other thing is also we would like a copy of the key to your house and your car, particularly if it's a really nice car. And part of you becoming a member of this church, that means we have full access to everything that you have. And we require of you each week to bring it and lay it at the feet of our, at our feet as we stand in the foyer for you. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? It should sound weird, by the way. <laughs> We're not going to employ that strategy for those of us who are worried. But see, there's something going on in this young church, this church that is growing radically. And at the heart of it is that their perspective and their heart perspective has completely changed than the way that they used to live. Um, this week, I saw this advertisement, which I think speaks a lot about our culture. And the advertisement went like this. So it shows uh, a lot of couples, you know, young couples. They're all having a meal together or doing some sort of activity together. 
And as they're doing this activity, they sort of burst into this sort of song. And they're ultimately singing a song to each other of saying things that they didn't like about each other. Eventually, they make this line where they said, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going single. And they break up with this other person because they don't like something about them. Do you know what they're advertising? Any ideas? Greybox single-serve gravy. And the ending scene is a, young, a man sitting at his table by himself, pouring his Greybox thing with a happy glee in his face because he's gone single. Now, I think that speaks a lot about our culture and this idea of individuality. It's about me. And, and you know what? Whether we want to admit it or not, since the day you and I were born, that's our constant reminder, always in our hearts, that the center of the universe revolves around us, revolves around you, revolves around me. Now, the Bible knows that already. It's nothing new. It didn't start all of a sudden in the culture. You read Genesis 3, from then on, constantly. That's the constant message. Everyone thinks that, that the world revolves around them. And that at the heart is really saying, God, you're not the boss. I'm in charge. I've got this. I don't need you to be in charge of my life. But the story of God is amazing because of who he is in his nature, because God is love. He's constantly and continuously always pursuing these individualistic cultures and people because he's a God who cares deeply. And then not only that, he says, look, you guys can't do it. You're always thinking about yourself. I'm going to send someone who's actually not going to think about himself. He's going to be far more concerned about me and my desires. He's going to become a servant. Oh, rightly so. He is born God. He is God. And he could ultimately say it should be about me. But no, he completely comes as a servant. And he lives his whole life like that. But it's not revolved around him. He loves and serves and ultimately sacrifices his life for you and me and for the whole of this world. And then he says to his followers, I want you to go and live like this, but I'm going to send you someone who will empower you to live like this. So the Holy Spirit comes and he comes inside the believers, this young believer, this young church, and then all of a sudden their perspective is changing. No longer is life about them. It doesn't revolve around them. It revolves around King Jesus. So they become part of this community of believers, this church, where ultimately this church is now being shaped by something. That message of the gospel, that message of grace, is shaping this whole community. And it drives them no longer to sort of look at themselves and their own desires. They're looking to serve and love one another. And to the point that it shapes how they live. This grace-based commonality shapes how they live. And you see that in the way they live by they selling their possessions and trying to meet the needs of others. It changes everything about them. It completely changes their lifestyle. This community now is of one heart, one soul, one mind. The things that belong to them is no longer theirs. It belongs to everyone. They're there to bring uh, and meet the needs of these people. See, what we're seeing in these first few verses is that this community of believers was so captured by the gospel and the grace that was shown to them, they can't just keep it to themselves. It shapes how they live. And particularly in that culture, 
They were no longer just sticking to their own little people group or their own little tribe or their sort of belief system. They were now seeing each other not just as friends or people that they meet on Sunday mornings. No, there's much more than that. There's a sense that they are now a family. A family that are intervalently into each other's lives. And they're connected in every way. It brings a commonality around them to the point all the material things they're actually willing to share with one another. I mean, I know there's one of the most precious things in most Australian kitchens, in particular in the pantries, a thing called Tupperware. Now, Tupperware is one of the most prized possessions, I know that, because people name them when they hand them out to lend it out to someone, expecting them to return it. If there isn't, there's a bounty on that person's head, usually. (laughs) Now, Imagine, in some sense, what's going on in this commonality is to say, hey, this Tupperware, in some sense, is actually not mine. It belongs to the whole, all of you. It's yours. Take it. Use it as long as you want. Now, I use a sort of, a, just a simple sort of analogy. But see, what's going on is they're so captured by the gospel of grace, it shapes everything. Everything of theirs no longer is just theirs. It actually belongs to the wider community, and they want to meet those needs, particularly in the physical needs. But there's something driving all of this. What's shaping all of this? As I said, is that grace. And we get a clue even more in verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now remember last week, the apostles have been persecuted. They're warned, be quiet, don't proclaim the truths of Jesus. They're like, okay, well, we can't do that, so we're going to go and pray. And Jesus empowers them and gives them boldness. And we're seeing the fruit of that prayer. Many people are coming to Christ as they boldly proclaim the truth, this grace. And it now shapes these people's lives and it starts bringing out in their lives and it's outworking. This grace is shaping everything about them. And this commonality, this grace-based commonality now ultimately now drives them further and forces and causes their hearts to a grace-based submission. A submission to the people that God has called them to be led by. Verse 34, there's this wonderful picture that's given to us. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each other as each had need. Now, like I said, it's very weird, isn't it, when you think about it? It would be like, like I said earlier to you, if we want you to give us all your bank details, because we want to build a helicopter pad right here in the empty patch here for the pastors, corporate helicopter. It would be strange to consider this kind of teaching, but... It was for a moment of history and that time for that moment, but the principle of what it's saying, the message does not change. See, the early church of that time was so captured by the grace of Christ shown to them. As they were living out this truth, by bringing their uh, financial uh, um, uh, investments and the profit from it to meet the church's need. Now remember, this is before the time of things like Centrelink and sort of social enterprises um, to help these kind of situations. These leaders are now given that responsibility for this early church. And so they are now to distribute it as the need comes. Now notice, 
It's not like these leaders at that time are not going, oh, look, now we're just going to put it into our own little account here. No. What does it say? And it laid it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each as they had need. Even the leaders themselves weren't looking to their own needs. They were trying to look to the needs of the wider church. So this need arises and then they distribute it out. There's this beautiful picture of a common bond around this gospel of grace. Friends, I don't know if you've ever talked to someone you have something in common with. Isn't it amazing when you have meet somebody you have something really in common with? You know, they totally get you, you totally understand them. I've actually witnessed this. When I hear people who, uh, there's one person who owns a Thermomix, there's another person who owns a Thermomix. And there's this commonality, there's this strong bond that's there. The conversation usually goes about how amazing deal that they got. There was a special on and it didn't cost them much. It just cost them one of their kids. But who needs another kid? They talk about how it was amazing and amazing meals that they made and they share about their recipes. Have you tried this? Yeah, I just made a coffee table last week with my Thermomix. <laughs> now, I joke about it. And if you have a Thermomix, good on you. And I look forward to trying some of your meals. But what about when we... When we meet or talk to someone who has something in common that is a bit more, far more serious, when they've gone through a trial or suffering, you just get them and they get you. There's a common bond. Now, for most of us, we have this is the long weekend and we're really excited about it because we don't have to go to work tomorrow. But this long weekend is a reminder of that at this, we get this long weekend at great cost. Tomorrow's Anzac Day. It's a reminder of a day. Actually, it's not even a, a victory. <laughs> it's a loss. It's a reminder of when Australians, both Kiwis and Aussies, lost in a battle. And many lives were lost. And I think it's quite interesting culturally. It's actually becoming a real sort of spiritual holiday, I think. I don't know if it's this year or last year. There was a statement made by the Australian Army as part of their speech for every uh, formal service that they have. And this is the statement it says. If you think about it, Anzac is not a battle and Anzac is not a place. Anzac is a collective noun for a group of people. Here is a group of people who have a commonality around a tragic loss. See, friends, here as followers of Jesus, we have a deep commonality, a deep collective noun. As we come and gather around Jesus because we've been captivated by this grace that was shown to us, that in this grace now empowers and enables us to express it out in lovingly to love and serve one another in our community. Because we no longer come as individuals. We're actually collective. We are a community who are being captured, who have been captured, who will need to continually be captured by the wonderful grace of Christ. Because we are no longer just a Christian, but we are Christians. We follow Jesus Christ. So this morning, the question we need to ask, particularly here, this morning in 2016, is that how you see your Christian life? I mean, has your Christian life become a bit more of an individualistic kind of idea? And I think it has invaded a lot of um, Christian churches. I mean, we all have our preferences, don't we? What kind of music, how loud the music should be played, what kind of style? 
who preaches, who doesn't preach. I like that preacher better than that preacher. How a ministry should run. How the finances should be spent. And who it goes to. Friends, I think even in our day and age, we can come into our Christian faith. We can be part of a Christian community still with this sort of individualistic idea. See, for this young community of believers in Acts, because of who they were captured by Jesus and the grace shown to them, that they were willing to invest all that they had, not some, all that they had for the purpose in meeting the needs of others. And it is a high investment. It is a high cost, no doubt about it. Think about what they're doing. That sounds ridiculous. It did come at a high cost. But see, I think it's because their perspective was they were so captured by the grace, it didn't mean anything. Their life was no longer about themselves. It was about Christ and His glory and in the community that they're part of. See, the Christian community is not a club. It is not a place that you just pay some sort of annual fee or weekly fee, depending on how you set up your accounts. No. It's not a place where you just come to get your goods and services and then off you go for the week. No, see, friends, a Christian community is a community who is a a group of believers who are so captured by the grace of Jesus, but also a community that is deeply messy gloriously, wonderfully messy because we are not a perfect church but we believe in a perfect saviour. See, this Jesus then says, hey, you are part of this community, I want you to go and be serving and loving one another because in light of that, it actually becomes a wonderful witness to a world that is constantly thinking about itself. When all of a sudden they meet this community, they're not actually thinking about their own needs and their own agendas. There's a bigger agenda that is Jesus Christ and his fame and his glory and then that leads to a submission that is explained here in this passage and we're given two views of that two very real uh, hands-on views of two groups of people Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira and we have this really stark challenging passage in Acts 5 in the first few verses I'm not sure if they're going to cover this story at Kids Church this week. (laughs) It's a hard word. I'm guessing most Kids Church skip over it. But it's in the Bible for a purpose. Friends, when we look at this passage, when we see this, it's not to kind of go, oh, that's just one of those weird stories we're just leaving. No, God has put that there for a purpose. And I think he's trying to grab the attention of those listening in. Luke is writing to someone to grab his attention, to put things in order of the things that Jesus proclaimed. And so Jesus is wanting us to grab, God is wanting to grab our attention as we look at this passage. Now, when you look at this passage, what was the problem? What did the couple do wrong? Well, in verse 3 it says, Peter said, Ananias, why Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And once again in verse 4 he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. You have lied to the creator of the universe. And then he says again, what was the problem with his wife? Well, she chose to test the spirit in verse 11, it says. On one hand, you have Barnabas, who would become a church leader later. He comes and brings all that he has, his whole money, everything, and lays it at the apostles' feet. 
And on the other hand, you have uh, this man who, who's so being captured by the gospel of grace, he just wants to bring it before the apostles' feet. There's nothing that he's holding back. Then on the other hand, you have this idea of a couple who would have heard the gospel and they've responded in some sense, but they're actually ultimately not even thinking about God and His glory because what do they do? They choose to lie. I think at the heart of it, these, this man and this woman were far more concerned to get the fame of the apostles rather than the blessing and fame of God. Because see, they forget who's actually watching in their act, who is listening into their little conspiring conversation, who knows already who their lie, who knows everything because he sees everything. And so they go and lay at the apostles' feet. I think this couple had lost the depth and grace and wonderful blessing that God had given them. And rather they were more concerned about getting the fame of people and rather than the blessing of God. Here they go and conspire. And the cost? Their physical life. They die, both of them. They were so caught up in their sin, they were so caught up uh, in themselves that they were willing to lie. And they thought they would get away with it because the apostles don't know, but they forgot someone was already listening to the conversation in their hearts. See, God, I think, ultimately is saying to this couple, I don't want your tainted sacrifice, your religious fake religion. There's no point to it. I don't want it. You've lied to me. Because ultimately you're doing it for your own glory. It's not for my glory. It would be like if Ananias and Sapphira were living in our day and time with social media. They've conspired with each other. They've talked to each other about what they're going to do. And as they're about to head towards the, um, the gathering of the apostles, they grab their little selfie phone, their iPhone, and they put their little money in front of them like this nice you know, position. And they take a selfie, and both of them smiling and saying, you know, to sacrifice and lay it before God. Hashtag grace. Hashtag Jesus. All glory to him. And lots of people are like, wow, that's amazing. Like, like, like. People are sharing the post. At the heart of it, God already knows what they're doing. And rather, they'd rather get the fame of man rather than fearing the God of the universe. Now friends, this is an event that happened. It really happened. This is not a made-up story. Could it happen again? I didn't know. But I do know the God of the universe is still the same. It's very easy for us, even today, I think, to fake our Christian life. It's very easy to fake your Christian life. You and I could easily fake it every Sunday morning. But in the depths of our hearts, there are many things going on. God is maybe calling out to you this morning to say, Stop lying to me. Stop hiding. Stop conspiring with others. I already know. Look to me. Look to the grace that was shown to you through my son. Stop looking to the affirmation of men and women. Friends, the reality is that if we are followers of Jesus, if we commit a sin, if as soon as we do that we turn to Jesus and then ask and cry out for mercy and forgiveness, he will forgive. He will forgive. But please, let's not stop 
and pretend that God has no clue on what's going on in life. He knows everything about you. He knows exactly what you and I do in those quiet moments or those thoughts that we have. Don't waste the grace and mercy that's been shown to you and me. Don't drag the grace and mercy that God has shown to you and me through the mud of sin. How's that for an encouraging sermon on Sunday? Brothers and sisters, it's a reminder to us. Jesus' gracious gift shown to you and me is a wonderful, beautiful gift. But dare we even ponder to consider to abuse it or control it in our terms. You and I have been given much, so much, more than can we comprehend. Our Savior went to great length to make you his son, his daughter. Our Savior went to great length to wash you of all your sin when you turn to him in faith. Our Savior is there to do the same every day. Grace upon grace upon grace. But our Savior also calls us not to abuse his grace. Not to just grab it and run it through the mud of sin. Our Savior calls to you and I to stop to pretend and stop hiding because He knows already. Turn to Him. In particular as well, the way that we see the things that God has blessed us with. They're already His. Friends, grace is not something that is just given to us and then now we sort of hide it into a little cupboard, either when Jesus calls us home or when he returns. No, grace is something that's been shown to us, but then it should so shape the way that we live, we extend that grace out to those people that God has placed uh, to interact with, whether if it's our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Canterbury Gardens or whether if it's the people during the week in your family. It should be poured out constantly and continuously because that's how much grace God has shown to you. That includes when we hear the needs of those people around us. And these words that are in chapter 5, verse 11, I pray that you will feel the sense and weight of it when it says, And great fear came upon the whole who heard these things. I think sometimes when we have this view of grace, we forget that God is still God. It should be balanced. And we too should have a sense of fear and awe as we mention his name, worship his name, and make much of his grace. So this morning I need to ask you, I need to ask myself, is there anything right now in your life that you know that you are lying to God and His Spirit? Is there anything in your life, in my life, that we're testing Him with? Oh, my friends, my brothers and sisters, I call out to you, return to Jesus this morning. He will cry out and he will listen to your cry for mercy and forgiveness. Because friends, when you and I continue to be a community of believers that are so captured by the wonder and grace of Jesus Christ, it will become a wonderful, glorious witness to the people around us. Because there's nothing like in this world. And not only that, 
when we grow in this grace, when we grow in this picture, we are no longer just acquaintances that come on a Sunday morning. No, we are brothers and sisters in Christ as we gather as a church every Sunday. So in light of that this morning, I do need to ask these questions for all of us. How do you see Canary Gardens Community Church? Is it your church home? Is it your church family? Or is it a place that you've just come to get your goods and services? One of the practical ways that you can be involved in the practical serving of one another in this church, there's a thing called CareLink. You can find the brochure in the foyer. That's just meeting the practical needs. One of the other ways we constantly encourage you to be part of is a small group. Because your small group is a place where you can love and serve one another and meet each other's needs. I know the two small groups. One small group heard of one of their members who had a need of the, uh, to do some backyard work in their home. They all went as a small group and loved and served each other. I have a small group who, in our church who, who heard there was some physical needs for that week, so they provided meals and so on. This is a way of proclaiming these truths because they've been captured by the grace of God. They're trying to meet each other's needs. Secondly, this morning, as Paul has reminded us and challenged us, how do you see your money? Now, for those of us who are skeptics and bit, you know, sitting there going, oh, they planned this. No, we didn't. Paul was meant to give this uh, talk about the money side of things a few weeks ago. And God in his providence placed it this morning. Church, your money, my money is not mine. It actually belongs to God. So maybe this week, spend some time to ask God, what do you want me to give? If you haven't already. And we're talking not just to the missionaries. We're talking over and above that. And thirdly, when we talk about this, this idea of grace and commonality, because of this grace that shapes us, is there anything that's going on in our church family, whether you might have yourself, that is coming against this idea of a one mind and one heart and one spirit? Do you have bitterness, hurt, unconfessed sin? Jesus is calling you to deal with it this morning. Friends, let us be reminded Jesus is our great saviour who at the cost of his own life with great joy was willing to put aside his own personal preferences to save us, to become a servant. And in being a servant, he saves us. Not only that, then he looks to us to be a church that continues to grow, to be a church that is a one mind, one spirit, to be in common around the gospel. And so when we see and hear the needs, we look to serve to the most generous and extreme way because of the grace that's made it possible. And it's the Holy Spirit who will empower us to do that. This morning, the music team is going to come up. They're going to sing one song, but before they do, I want to give us some time just to be still and quiet. I want you to use this time to do some business with God. Is there anything in your heart that you need to confess and deal with? In light of this passage. And then I'll come and lead us in prayer. And then we will finish with a song. So spend some time quietly with God.